Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's Message of the Week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, in just a minute, I'm going to invite John up to speak with us. Um, John was an elder at Gateway Church in Leeds a while back. That was um, the church that we as Hope were planted out of. So we, um, we know the church well. Um, and then John spent 10 years in China, so that tells you it was a little while ago. And John and Leslie, we're delighted to have you both with us. Um, we're getting to know your faces a bit better because um, while they've been on sabbatical from their pastoral role, which they do voluntarily at Gateway Church, they've been with us a few times. It's, it's a real delight for us to have you, have you with us. Um, we know your family a bit because their son Simon and Esther have led our kids' work when we had... Um, Weekends away as a church, and Simon's come and led worship here when we've been without worship leaders, so we, we really love and, and know this family well. Uh, John is here, I guess, in his capacity as the leader of the Creation Call um, movement <laughs> across Christ Central, which is encouraging and supporting churches in how to be better at understanding and um, working towards good environmental practices. So we are delighted to have you here, John. If you'd like to come up, I'll pray for you quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Father, thank you um, that we are so blessed with, with friends that can, can share such wisdom with us. And we just pray that you would open our hearts to hear what John has to bring and that you would um, fill John with your spirit as he, as he speaks to us. Amen. It's on now. Yes? Great. Well, that's better. I can actually hear myself. I was a bit unnerving before because I was doing a sound test at the back. And when we do it in Gateway, it doesn't come through the main speakers. But I started to just talk quietly and my voice boomed at me back from behind. So it was really scary. It's great to be with you. Um, as Dan said, we're, we're on sabbatical from Gateway Church for the time being. Uh, this church is kind of our second home. It feels like we've got lots of friends here, some very good close friends, people we've known for 40 odd years, David and Margaret, I guess, since uh, Bradford days. 40, yeah, 40 or more, I would think. Yeah, that was a long time ago. So... Um, Great to be with you all, and Adam asked me to come because, as Dan has said, I lead an initiative from Christ Central called Creation Call, and the aim of that is taking account of the way in which our world is being affected by climate change and many other environmental problems, really to ask the question, how can we, as Christians, respond faithfully to God? in that situation. And that's what uh, our initiative is about. And so um, I talked with Adam about what he would like uh, me to talk about today. I have to say, first of all, I think even talking about things is like bringing coals to Newcastle. You know that phrase, right? Because I know that Adam is very passionate about this. Adam and Jess, Adam has preached about it. I know that Tim and others amongst you have been very uh, diligent in trying to work out what it means to be faithful in practical ways in facing this situation. So 
I almost am hesitant to come at all, except that this situation doesn't go away. And in fact, to be honest, it is getting worse. And so we, we need to be realistic and full of faith as we consider what is going on. So what I plan to do is I want to tell you a little bit about my own journey in this, what we're doing in Creation Call, and then to finish, because it's Sunday morning in church, we're going to finish with Scripture and looking at some of the things that God has to say to us about it all. So, for myself, uh, I've been a Christian since 1967, which is before many of you were born. And I cannot remember a time when I didn't recognize that we had problems with our planet, with the environment. So I never was one who kind of resisted or fought against these ideas. But at the same time, I didn't actually take it all that seriously. I was always glad to meet Christians who were concerned about things, these things, who were trying to do something about these things. Um, we did a little bit of recycling ourselves. But somehow it was a little bit like, yeah, I believe it, but it's not really part of my life. It doesn't impact me as I'm living day by day. And that all changed less than four years ago. In fact, if four years ago from today you'd have told me I would be here in Hope Church speaking on this subject, I would have said, you must be kidding me. But it changed because I went to a seminar at Devoted in 2019. That was the last time Christ Central had its big Bible Weekend event. And at that seminar, Martin Charlesworth very carefully, unemotionally really, spelt out some of the situation that we're facing in the world now and some of the scripture that addresses that. And I came away thinking, I cannot push this away anymore. I have to take it seriously. And me being the kind of person I am, that started with doing a lot of reading. So I spent actually several months alongside the, the work I was doing in Gateway Church, reading as much as I could to understand as much as I could. And from that, I came away convinced that indeed... Our earth is in trouble. The most obvious thing that we talk about is climate change. And it was clear then that the climate is changing and that it is impacting our lives. So we, we've seen evidence of that with last summer's huge heat wave, for instance, as one symptom of what is going on around the world. In fact, just in this last few weeks, a number of world records have been set. So first of all, it has been the hottest June for our planet ever. I don't mean somewhere had the highest temperature, I mean the average across the planet was higher than it has ever been. At, if we can move on please David at 17.08 degrees centigrade. Now that's an average, hotter than that here, colder than that in Antarctica. Right? The average for the whole planet. And if, I think we skip one. Have we skipped a slide? Thank you, if you keep it there for now. If you just look at that graph, that is showing 
the, the average temperature uh, across June from 1850 through to this year. And the weight is that the sort of line two-thirds of the way down with the red above and the blue below was the average temperature during the period 1850 to 1900, roughly. So you can see at that, at that time, sometimes it was above average, sometimes it was below average. That's what average means, right? But then, as the Industrial Revolution took root across the world, not in Britain, where we started a long time before, but across the world, then it's steadily risen. The world's temperature has risen, so that now, uh, in June, it's close to 1.5 degrees C above the average from the pre-industrial time, and that is the, the kind of limit at which scientists reckon we've got to keep below that if we're going to stop the world getting into more and more of a mess. And, and so you can see we're going up quickly and we're nearly there. Thank you, David, if we can move on. The next one, we had the hottest day across the globe on record. That's the 17 point out. That was July 6th this year was the hottest day for the world as a whole, ever. The next one. Ocean temperatures have smashed seasonal records. As an example, off the west coast of Ireland, the sea temperature was 4 or 5 degrees C above average for this time of year. That's a huge amount. We were on holiday just a couple of weeks back, Leslie went swimming, which she loves to do. She normally comes out shivering, goose pimples and all the rest. And she came out and she said, it's lovely and warm. It's great. Maybe not so great. Because that is devastating for marine life. And it's a symptom of what is happening for the planet. And then finally, just recently... We've had the record low amount of Antarctic sea ice ever. This is what is happening in our world now. It is real. And so, these are recent, but when I was thinking about this, it was clear then there's a lot going on. And I had to do a lot of rethinking. I, I realized, which I really knew already, it's not just climate change. The pollution in our world is horrendous. We lived in China, in Beijing. Some days you couldn't go out without a mask. Our oceans and rivers are polluted. Uh, plastic is everywhere. Plastic is now finding itself in our food. Chances are, food that we bought this week has got microplastics in it. Farming. Our methods of farming are terribly polluting. They have blessed us with abundant food. Abundant cheap food. But at a cost. And the cost is intensive use of chemicals, fertilizers and wheat killers and insect killers that destroy life that degrade the land and make it less productive. I mean, we need to put more and more in to keep getting the same amount of crops. We cannot go on living like that. Something has to change. 
biodiversity loss. Different species, some are dying out, many are endangered. In the last 50 years, the British Trust for Ornithology did some research which showed that about there are now about 73 million fewer birds in the UK than 50 years ago. So, it's not just climate change, there's many things we have to think about. If you think this is not a very nice thing for Sunday morning, let us recall what Dan said at the beginning. Right? God is good, right? He's over all these things. We have hope. But we don't understand the hope until we face the reality. Right? If we pretend we don't have a cancer, we may die from it. If we face the reality, we can find a solution. And I had to come to terms with some of the reasons why I didn't bother about these things before. I guess, in the back of my mind, I would think, it's New Agers that concern themselves with these things. It's, it's tree huggers that are the people. This is not something we Christians think about. But I began to realize that actually the scripture is full of God's care for his world. His love for his world. That even a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground that God doesn't know about and is concerned about. And from the beginning God made the world good and took great delight in it and made us as people to take care of it. And to be honest, we've done a bit of a mixed job. The state of the world is a symptom of human sin. It's one aspect of that sin. We destroy each other, we hate God, and we spoil his world. And I also sometimes used to think, well, maybe we should just get on with preaching the gospel. Right? But then I began to realize this is the gospel, part of it. It's at the heart of the gospel. We have a hope of a God who is renewing all things. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. But we now pray that his kingdom will come on earth. So this is part of what God is doing. There is hope in a world that is actually lacking hope on these things because of the God who loves his world. And actually, you know, if you ever learn about mission, they always say, you must preach the gospel for the context you live in. Well, the context we live in is a world that is in trouble and a world in which so many people are worried about the world and a world in which many people think Christians are part of the problem because we condone this. If we're to communicate the gospel effectively in the world we live in, we have to take it seriously. The reality of the situation and the fears and hopes of the people that we know. So we started to take some personal steps. You know, you get all this stuff, you have to start to do something, but we can't start by waving a banner, right? It's got to start in here. Do you agree with me? It always starts in here. And it always starts with me responding. So we started to do things to change our lifestyle, but then we realized, actually, this is really hard. Because when you start to look at your life, there's almost nothing in the way we live that isn't affected by this. Right? 
When you go shopping, where's your food coming from? What's it wrapped in, for example? And when we leave the lights on overnight, how much extra carbon are we putting in the atmosphere? So, it was hard. Where do you start? And actually, some of the things we can't afford to do. You know, people will say, buy organic food. Well, actually, I think that's a good thing. And we do buy organic food. But I recognize, if you're living on a very tight budget, you can't suddenly start to buy organic food. Some things will not be affordable for many people. So how do you cope with all this? I found it really helpful to hear uh, a lady called Hannah Bowring from Tear Fund who said, God doesn't call us to perfection. Just take the next step. One step at a time. And so we started to take some steps. We tried to use less plastic. We don't buy plastic-wrapped vegetables if we can avoid it. In fact, we get a farm box, which saves that. We try to have less waste. Um, for example, we have to learn, switch the TV off when it's not being used. Don't have it on standby. Lots of little things. Switch your lights off. Take care not to waste things. One thing we did was we changed our banks. We realized that our bank, I won't tell you which one it was, was a big supporter of fossil fuel investments. So we changed to a bank that had a better record, that didn't invest in fossil fuels and has a better ethical record. It's actually easy to do. Incredibly easy to do. And so we, we did the various steps. This is not a talk about things to do, so I'm not going to give you any more. But if you're interested to learn more, then I suggest you ask my friend Tim, who is full of good ideas of things to do more. And I'm sure there are many other people in the church who can, can also uh, help. Um, I also got involved... In speaking up, we have to sometimes speak up for truth or stand for truth. So, in my case, that meant I got involved in a campaign to stop the expansion of Leeds Bradford Airport. At a time when we need to reduce the amount of flying to cut down the amount of carbon, they wanted to expand the airport massively on a very dodgy argument that it was going to help the local economy, which was nonsense. And I became part of an organization that has fought against this with some success so far. The battle is not yet won. I know that Tim is involved in an organization called Zero Carbon Harrogate, which is trying to influence local government in its policies in these areas. And we started to take steps as a church. As a church, we uh, declared a climate emergency. I believe you've done that, is that right? We also joined Arosha's Eco Church program, which is a good way in which, as a church, you can start to think about how can we express these things in a godly way. Uh, have you got your bronze yet? No, we have. Okay, come on, you've got to keep running. Oh, right. But getting the awards is not what it's about, but it's a way of measuring your progress. And then Jeremy Simpkins asked me to start the Creation Call Initiative, um, which is to help our churches as a whole in this. 
And so we've done things like training. I know some people from Hope have been to our training. Uh, we've had some conferences. People from Hope have come. And we've recently done a booklet with Jubilee Plus. Have you got those with you, Tim? He's forgotten to bring them. Next week, you can ask Tim for a copy of a booklet that we have done with Jubilee Plus, talking about how we can respond faithfully and well. But one of the things that we have done is we've been working with uh, churches in Zambia and Malawi because we realize there's a justice issue here. And it's quite simple like this. The people who consume most of the Earth's resources and put most carbon in the atmosphere come from developed countries like ours. The countries that suffer most are the poorer countries that contribute less to it. And so uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about Zambia and Malawi because Leslie and I are going there on Wednesday to spend some time with the guys there. So if we can bring up the next slide, David. In Zambia, there are long-term problems of poverty anyway, but it's made much worse by climate change. And the way that shows is mostly not enough rain. We could call it drought. But sometimes there's too much rain and they get floods. And that's exactly what the science of climate change says will happen as the temperature rises. We get more extreme weather events. We've experienced heat waves, we've experienced more strong winds, and so on and so forth. And the result is the harvests are poorer, there's less food, they've had famine, not as much as in some countries, but they've had famine in some years. And this is something they've had to take very seriously because for them this is not a nice discussion over Sunday lunch. This is life and death. This is their survival for the future. And so the churches have taken initiatives, which we can see, to try to provide for food security. They've dug boreholes to get fresh water so they're not so dependent upon rain. There's actually a lot of water underground still. Try to do better methods of farming. Uh, a technique called Foundations for Farming actually started from Christian churches in Zimbabwe, connected with New Frontiers. Uh, and that helps you to farm in a way that is better for bad conditions, but it still won't cope with a flood or a total drought. Um, if we can go back, please, just for a minute. And then another thing that is, was important there, farmers used to basically just farm maize for themselves. But if that goes, you've lost everything. So you diversify, you do other things. And they've focused on introducing chicken farming, but they're also looking lots of other things, fruit trees, nut trees, different kinds of crops, and so on. So all these are great, but there's a lot of problems with them. And the problem is that it's all very small scale. It's like the, the you know, proverbial drop in an ocean. It helps a few people. It's mostly funded from churches abroad, actually from churches in the UK. So it's not yet self-sustaining. And in a big country, it's very hard to coordinate what goes on to get the most benefit from it. So in Christ Central, we are now working towards a more coordinated effort for the country to adapt to the problems of climate change um, 
and to do that with more support from the UK. And as the year, towards the end of the year, you'll probably be hearing more about that. So I'm just giving you a, a kind of trailer for that now. But that's why we're going to Zambia, because we're going to meet with leaders there, we're going to a conference there, we're going to be discussing some of those things. Then we come to Malawi. Now Malawi, thank you David, is in a much worse state. And just say this, 2015 floods, and then floods, drought, drought, floods, floods, drought, floods, floods, year in, year out. That's the life there. Different climatic situation than Zambia. The most recent floods, if we can just go back please, the most recent floods, there were two and a half million people were affected by those floods. 650,000 had to move. There were 676 deaths. We have a bunch of churches there called Vision Oriented Church. 20 or so churches. Some of those churches, not all of them, some of them in the south have been flooded out three times in the last few years. Last year, 60-odd families lost their homes, lost their crops. And then it all happened again this year. How do you survive in those situations? Now, we have sent relief aid from Christ Central. It helps the people to survive and get going again. The most recent was sent just a few weeks ago, and we were able to pay for seed so they could plant again. Um, but it's just survival, really. A uh, couple of pictures, if we can move on. That's a picture from the south, where the floods were very extensive. The next picture is a, flood from, a picture from the capital, Lilongwe. They've not had the floods before. It's getting worse. This year, just a few weeks ago, sorry if we can go back, that is what it looked like. That building is the main church building of the churches connected with us in Malawi. Now, if you think that's the main building, you get an impression of poverty. But when you see the flood, you know, that's in the capital. They never had it before. It's getting worse. The leader of the church is there is a guy called Helix, if you could move along please, Helix Chigunum. He has four children who are now pretty much grown up, uh, but he has nine adopted children because people die frequently and children need to be adopted. And there are some of his adopted children, I believe. Um, he's the leader of those churches. Just, we, we've got to know him, Tim and I have got to know him over the last 18 months or so. Only through Zoom or WhatsApp. And just imagine, the churches you're concerned about, year on, year out, people are devastated. They're just surviving because there's help coming from overseas. This year, after the floods yet again, one of the pastors dropped dead. I just felt, well, you know, his heart gave out. It was just all too much. The weight of concern, not just for your own family, but for the church. Another pastor's daughter died. They were so hungry that she went looking for food and ate a poisonous root and died. Uh, in the most recent floods, 
four of Helix's extended family died. And just recently, his father died from something else. He was very close to him. Grief upon grief. So when we go there, and we'll be meeting Helix in the flesh this coming Thursday, we're basically just going to weep with those who weep. We're going to say, we're there for you. We don't have any answers, except we look to a great God. And we just want to be with you and support you, encourage you. And so if we could just move on to the next slide. Part of the challenge is, there's going to be more floods or droughts. Almost certainly. And we can't say it will be, but it's very unlikely that there won't be. And so, as yet, they've not been able to do anything significant for the long term. And so we are praying that when we go alongside just being an encouragement to him, we may be able to find some way to begin to move things forward. And the question I'm asking in the darkness, can the churches shine? Surely we are the people with hope. And so there, there is hope that even in the darkness, God's people will rise up and the gospel will, will shine out brightly in that country. So if you could move on then, David. Thank you. So that's what we've been doing. But I just want to finish now by looking at some stuff from the Bible. Because, you know, it would be very remiss just to give a lot of facts on a Sunday morning. And when I thought about this, I thought, what is our godly response? Because the world, you see, the world responds basically in fear. And fear can do two things. It can paralyze you, so you do nothing. Oh, we're hopeless, there's nothing we can do. You can get very angry, so you can be in denial. And we see that happening in the world. Or it can lead you to, to terrible anxiety. And in the world, we see a huge amount of anxiety now about the way the world is going. And not just about the climate. The anxiety that COVID brought upon us. The impact on mental health. The impact of the cost of living crisis, which is affecting many people, including, I'm sure, people here. What's happening in Ukraine? What's that going to lead to? It's all very uncertain, isn't it? We live in a world that is full of fear. A world that seems darker now than I can ever remember in my lifetime. And yet, Jesus is the same. We are a people of hope, yes? Hope by name, hope by nature. So we don't need to give way to fear. So what is our response? And as I was first thinking about these things, we were going through a series on the book of Revelation, and I was reading Revelation. And as I read Revelation, I thought this is a very similar situation. The Christians there were faced with huge challenges that affected their very ability to survive for very different reasons because of oppression from the Roman Empire and idol worship 
and so on. And if we, if we can just look on to the next thing. In Revelation, there comes a point in the middle where John writes this, if anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they'll go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. He's not giving some glib answer to our difficult situation. But then he says, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Patient endurance means we keep going. We keep our hope in God. As, as Ruth was sharing with us, right? There may be deferred hope, but God is good in the midst of it. And we are faithful to God. Secular environmentalists tell us we must save the world. God says, I will save the world. But I want you to be faithful to me. God is the saviour, not us, but we have our part to play as we are faithful to him. Now, what does faithfulness mean in this context? Well, of course, it includes the practical ways we can respond to make a difference. A few of which I've mentioned. But faithfulness always starts in here. Right? And so, the next slide, to me, tells me, I think, where one of the key issues of faithfulness is. God says through Isaiah, so do not fear. Do not fear. I'm told that that phrase or something like it comes 365 times in the Bible. Once for every day of the year. Do not fear, do not fear, do not be afraid, do not be anxious. And so on. God calls us not to fear. He gives us a command not to fear, but he gives us an invitation and grace not to fear. How do we honor God? By trusting him. We honor God by taking hold of his word, by not fearing. And so I just want to finish by giving three ways or three reasons why we do not need to fear. And the first one is here. Do not, sorry, this, sorry, go back. Thank you. Do not fear, for I am with you. God is with us. Whatever happens, he is with us. When Daniel's three friends were in the furnace, there was one like the Son of Man walking with him. Whatever we are going through now, in the past, or in the future, he will be with us. So that is number one reason. He is with us. The second thing, if we can move on, David, Jesus said, Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And the Gentiles, those are not God's people in this context are very anxious about the world now. So for the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Jesus says, basically, seek my Father's kingdom first and you will have whatever 
you need. All that you need. And we can feel, what will it mean if climate change gets worse? What will it mean for our food supplies? What will it mean for our way of life? And Jesus said, if you're seeking my kingdom first, I will add to you whatever you need. We do not need to fear. I have to say, that particular verse, verse 33, was our, our verse from the beginning of our marriage. Seek God's kingdom first and add to us all we need. We have been married now nearly 47 years. We can testify. It's true. And over and over again, when we've been at the end, when it seems like there's been no human answer, God always supplies what we need. He does not let us down. He is faithful. And then the third reason, Paul talks about people who died. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, who died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Climate change is leading to people dying already. It's not impossible that it could lead to some of us dying. I'm not trying to put a damper on it. Understand reality now we're talking. We don't know what will come. We don't need to grieve as the world grieves because we will always be with the Lord. The fear of death grips people, but we do not need to live under that fear. Whatever happens, we will be with the Lord forever. And the earth will be renewed and heaven will come to earth. And we'll be in the, the city that has foundations where the, the river of life flows through it and the tree of life is there. And there will be no more mourning and no sorrow, no tears, no pain. This is our hope, our confidence. I think uh, Leslie alluded to that when we, Leslie Williams, when she was sharing earlier. We have an eternal hope. The world fears death because it has no hope. So we have three good reasons why we do not need to fear. Because God is always with us, whatever. Because Jesus promised all our needs will be supplied. And because even when, because it is a when for all of us, even when death takes us, we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, we do not need to fear. And therefore, as we face this crisis... We don't have to be paralyzed by fear or denial or anger. But we can respond with faith. We can be those who take positive action, motivated not by desperation, but by hope and love and faith. But still, the rubber hits the road in practice because actually... I have found that most human beings are prone to fear and anxiety. And some of us carry it around as a, a weight of baggage. My mum was very anxious, always, about everything. Yeah. I've inherited that from her a bit. Not as bad as her, she was. But I'm prone to that. My wife is much less prone than I am. But sometimes it hits her. 
None of us live in this, oh, the Lord is wonderful. We all face anxiety. And our, our last scripture is this. Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now he says don't be anxious because he knows we're likely to be anxious. So let's not go away thinking, oh, I'm terrible, I'm feeling anxious. No. Why does God say 365 times, don't be afraid? Because he knows that's part of the human condition. So let's not get condemned and guilty because we're feeling afraid. But let's do what he says about it. And what he says about it is in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What kind of thanksgiving? Well, I think there's two kinds. One is, thank you, Lord, for all the ways you've already been faithful and provided. Remember all the things you've done. done. Lord, you did this, you did this, you did this. But also, thank you, Lord, you've given me wonderful promises. That gave me the hope for today and the future. And perhaps we need more and more just to make the habit, Lord, I'm feeling anxious about this. Okay, Lord, I'll bring it to you. You know, those kinds of character, character may be the wrong word, but you know, personality aspects, don't change easily. But you know, the Holy Spirit works in us to change us. We are changed from one degree of glory to the next as we behold the Lord's glory. And how can we do that? By coming to him. By bringing those anxieties. Nothing too small. No job too insignificant. Right? And as we do that, it doesn't have to be climate change. It may be in your life, in your family situation today, that there's an anxiety, there's a pressure, there's a pain. I would guess there's something for everybody. Some will be more significant than others. So let's take him at his word. Let's bring it to him. So what I would like to to do to finish is, let's just take a minute or two, just each one of us individually, to talk to the Lord. Lord, I'm anxious about this. Call to mind his promises. Call to mind his faithfulness. And then ask him about it. Bring it to him. And we'll give a couple of minutes for quiet for us all to do that. And then I suggest we can also pray for one another, maybe get in small groups, twos, threes, fours, where we are, and we can pray for one another.